Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, welcome back, Bill. Great to talk to you as always. Yeah, here we are. Another week, <laughs> another change in the, in the colors of the leaves. I was up in northern Minnesota this past weekend. I've never been up there in the fall. It's really spectacular this year. Yeah. The fall colors are quite amazing. So oh, it is much, beautiful. Yeah, there's so much to be thankful for and need to keep on appreciating out there in, in, the, in the world. But same time, there are some, un, unfortunately, some disturbing trends that we're seeing here in this very region in terms of COVID. Probably a good place to start is just yeah. the fact that we are seeing a rise in cases in our Mayo Health System sites and in Rochester, and it is not specific to Mayo, it is across the region. So mm-hmm. um, it's something that's, that is quite concerning. It is younger patients a little bit um, than we had seen before, and you know, so we've seen some increase in pediatric cases. The challenge is twofold. Number one, this is a concern that too many people get ill there's going to be lots of things that start kind of going backwards again in terms of accessibility. We know for the state, the ability to, to not have to remote learn for students is predicated on the, on the amount of virus that's out there in our communities. Uh, for us and for other healthcare systems, I know in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, just having too many of our employees having to quarantine because of not only their own illness, but family illness could impact their staffing. So there's just a lot of things out there. And, and last but not least, we are now starting to see what we really look for is that increase in hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're starting to see that for a while. We were hopeful that maybe that was not going to follow as strongly as it has over the summer. But now we're starting to see those numbers go back up too. There's a lot of reasons, unfortunately, that we need to stay vigilant with COVID. I agree. That's a great reminder, Bill. And I like how you just kind of reiterated some of the main points. Obviously, if our hospitals are filling up, our ICU beds are filling up, well, those are really sick folks that we worry about. And at the same time, that keeps others from being able to get the care they need. And you worry about exceeding the capacity of the hospital to care for things like a heart attack or someone delivering a baby. You know, we need all of those resources to care for the population. And I think also it's a good reminder that even though we're maybe seeing the younger folks, younger adults getting sick, they're not in a vacuum and they're coming home, they're going back to their households where they're exposed to then maybe other individuals who could be at higher risk. So yeah, think of those beautiful fall leaves and maybe get out for a nice socially distanced walk, but uh, avoid those group settings. And that's going to be important as we go into the winter. As the weather gets cooler, we're going to be indoors and we really just have to maintain our social bubbles with our own families that are safe and not going out into large group settings. Look, we all have COVID fatigue. I think Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of us, but we, unfortunately that doesn't mean we can let our guard down. But the flip side is, that doesn't mean that we're standing still either. I mean, there's, of course, a lot of talk about the vaccine and moving forward with that, but that's just one of many innovation efforts that are out there to try and make living with COVID more palatable, for lack of a better term. 
and I know one of them, of course, is that to prevent the spread, you really need to know that you have the virus and then not go out. Of course, in the spring, we saw that the drive-through testing is a way to kind of do that. Not terribly convenient for people, and you hear stories of people waiting in line literally for hours in their cars waiting to get tested. So I know there's a big movement at, across labs, and I know you've been a big part up here at Mayo, and that's for self-collection. So you don't have to go in, that you can actually collect your test yourself and then get the test run. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been involved in a lot of those efforts here, I think. Haven't you, Bobby? Yeah, I have. I've actually had the privilege of leading what is one of our innovation working groups here in the Department of Lab Medicine and Pathology. Uh, we have numerous groups. Mine focuses just on self-collection. And like you said, Bill, if you have people that can collect their own specimen at home, it keeps them out of the healthcare setting. So they're not going to expose themselves or others if they are sick. So it's a safer, more preferable way to collect the specimen, and then it gets sent in by Overnight Express to the laboratory where testing is performed. Mm -hmm. So we've been looking at this for a number of different things. We've been looking at it for PCR and also serology. PCR is probably the big thing right now. That's the molecular test that detects the actual RNA of the virus, and that's usually collected by a nasal swab, a swab that goes in the nose. Now, of course, the gold standard is the nasal pharyngeal swab, which we all know, anyone who's had it, uh, it's not a pleasant experience. Yeah, it's uh, so-called so brain biopsy. Brain biopsy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've gone through it, and it is, uh, it is definitely invasive. So when we considered this, we thought, well, what kind of specimen could a patient actually collect at home? Nasal pharyngeal swab, we crossed that off right off the bat because no one's going to do that to themselves, I don't think. But when we looked at the other alternatives out there, not all of the other specimens actually give you a good result. Like a throat swab, for example, doesn't really pick up a lot of that viral RNA. So in looking at the data, we saw that something called a mid-turbinate nasal swab is actually the best when you compare it to the gold standard nasal pharyngeal swab. So mid-turbinate means, think of it like a mid-nasal swab. It goes in about halfway into your nose, not all the way back to the brain <laughs> for the <laughs> brain biopsy nasal pharyngeal swab, but about halfway in. And it shows a better ability to detect the virus than just an anterior nares or nasal swab that yeah. we've seen some other people use. So that's what we're going with. Got it. Going back to anatomy, people don't realize, I mean, when we talk about the nasopharyngeal swab, your sinuses go far back into your head. And so it is pretty far, it is far back there. A lot of people don't think of that, but in your nose for nasopharyngeal swab is way behind what you even think of as your nose. It's kind of behind your cheekbones even. Um, whereas the, you know, the mid-turbinate swab that you describe is more something that someone should be able to do if it's in your nose. Uh, and also, I couldn't help but think, especially if you talk about younger patients that you're always told, don't stick stuff in your nose. I guess this is the academy. Don't stick stuff <laughs> yeah, in your nose. Yeah, they get to go nose. against authority. Those are from a doctor. So um, is this, I mean, this obviously has two uses that you speak to. Mm -hmm. Number one is that it keeps people from coming into the hospital because they re and going outside of the homes if, they, if they're sick, um, that they can find out if they have COVID and never potentially have to leave but be able to stay, you know, isolated so they don't spread it. But it's also about convenience too, obviously, right? In terms of not having to go out when you feel poorly and, and sit in the car or sit in the ER or sit mm -hmm. someplace. So this can't be new. I, I mean, there's, uh, 
had there been others? I mean, because people people have been getting colds from well before COVID. So um, <laughs> yeah. have there been other efforts like this? Yeah, well, good question. This has actually been an area I've been interested in for many years. And we did a study a number of years back looking at mid-turbinate swabs self-collected by the patient for influenza detection. And we did a study where we showed that they were about equivalent when you compared it to the nasal pharyngeal swab. So we knew that this was possible, that patients could do it. And actually everyone on the innovation team also collected their own. I did it myself and uh, it tickles a little, but it's, it's definitely doable. So we had published our influenza study years ago. And then after that, we followed it up with a self-collection throat swab for mm. group A strep, strep throat. And in that study, enrolled over 400 patients, and we broke them up into where the patient collected their own swab, but we also had a parent arm where the parents mm. collected their swab. And that study was really cool too, because we showed that patients and parents could collect a throat swab for group A strep PCR testing just as well, if not better, than the healthcare provider. Wow. And we figured it's probably because they could overcome their own gag res response, their gag yep. reflex. Yep. And it's very similar. If you stick something up your nose, if someone else is doing it to you, it's going to be very uncomfortable and intrusive. But I think that you could argue that if you're doing it yourself, you have more control. You know what's coming, just like you can't tickle yourself. You know, yeah. it's kind of that yeah. whole idea yeah. that it's a little easier if you're doing it to yourself. Now, everyone's not going to feel comfortable doing this, but I think for the folks that are willing to do it, it's a really nice alternative. You know, it's funny because uh, this is not a great situation, COVID. You're always trying to find the silver lining on those clouds. Mm -hmm. But really, again, this is something that has been out there but we just haven't done it. And a lot of people have done self-collection. It just was, it was not something that, hey, we got a lot of momentum behind just because it's always hard to do things differently. You, know, you get so used to doing things the way you do them. This will be one of the things coming out of COVID I think that we'll see for a lot of testing is that people won't have to go into their doctor for some tests as much. And they might be able to do them from the convenience of their home, which I think will really be good for, people, for things like this where you get sick and you want to know, or I had influenza, a number of years back and I did go in, in my, by the time you're really sick with one of these viruses, you really don't feel like going out. So, mm -hmm. but yet I needed to go in to get, to get access to the treatment. So it's great to see um, and that you're working on this. And is there anything, you know, and I know there's others, there are other at home tests, I think that are out there now for COVID. Is there anything about what we're working on that's different than what others have out there? Yeah, there are other methods out there now. As you said, this is one of the silver linings of the COVID pandemic as we've become really innovative in uh, methods like at-home collection. So some other companies and institutions have looked at saliva, which seems promising, but I think that most of the studies to date have been done in hospitalized patients. So I think we really need to be able to understand how it's going to be just for detecting virus in people that are outpatients, the kind that would go through a drive-through clinic. There are some other groups using nasal swabs. I would say what makes ours unique is that the mid-turbinate swab, there aren't any other groups looking at that. And the studies to date really have shown this to be a, a superior collection method, detecting more positives than the other types of specimens. So mm -hmm. we're actually going to do another study comparing nasal pharyngeal swabs, mid-turbinate swabs, and saliva and do a three-way comparison. But our goal is to have this mid-turbinate swab at-home collection method rolled out. I think it's gonna be really helpful too, Bill, for the folks that have to come here to Mayo for say surgery. Right now, they all need to get tested 
for SARS-CoV-2 before coming, which means they have to find a healthcare system. They're not in the area. They have to find their own local healthcare setting where they can go get tested. Here, we could just mail a kit to them and they could do it, mail it back, do it a few days before their appointment and you get your result. Yeah. Really, really convenient for the patient. And I guess the last thing to mention is saves on personal protective equipment for our healthcare staff. And it protects them because they're not getting exposed to these patients that are potentially infectious. Yeah, wow. So lots of, lots of upside. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're working on this. So I think that's a solace again. This is kind of a wrap up for this week, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, um, number one, it is challenging. We, we're just still going to have to figure out how to live with COVID. And, um, and so, and we still need to be careful. And yet this, the flip side is we have really smart people like you that are really working on solutions for people that will make it, make us able to live with COVID and get back to our lives. So, and so I look forward to being able to legitimately put something in my nose. I don't have any little kids anymore. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and, and most importantly, though, I think people to know that all these innovations, we're still leading with the science, right? I think that's yes. one thing that people worry about is, are we so worried about making things more convenient or more coming, you know, whether it's a vaccine or a treatment or a, or, or a test, the concern is if we do it too fast, do we really know that it works? And I mean, the most important thing is that we really know that it works. And so, you know, having the good science, doing all the comparisons that you're doing is really important. So thank you. I agree. Yeah, the science, you know, everything we do here is supported by the science. So we'll have a kit out later this fall once it's gone through the FDA and all of the proper approval channels, but we'll have all the data to support that this is a really good method. And I guess a good way to end, though, is to remind everyone what we talked about last time, which was masking. If you mask and social distance, you hopefully won't ever have to stick anything up your nose, and that's even better. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Perfect. I, can, I couldn't say it any better myself. Excellent. Well, thanks, Bobby. Another great chat, as always. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.